We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aitlin is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. Keep pounding on three! One, two, three! Keep pounding! Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am extremely excited to bring one of my favorite draft guys in the business. His name is Emery Hunt. You can find him on Twitter at FBALLGamePlan. And you could also find his work at Football Game Plan and CBS Sports. And I want to do. I do want to give a plug to his recently released draft guide, which you can find on his Twitter page, uh, and you could also find it online as well. Emery, what's going on, brother? I'm doing fine, man. I appreciate you having me on. And you can find it at you, uh, footballgameplan.com/slash/2022draft guide. Yeah, and I've been digging through it. It's very. I mean, you went through a lot of prospects, so which should be expected. And anyone who doesn't know Emery, he. Um, you know, he calls college football games in the fall and, but he's not necessarily going to like your, you know, division, you know, one universities, he's going, you know, to the smaller schools. And that's what I appreciate about, uh, you know, the work that you put in because you're scouting not only just, you know, the big schools, but also the, uh, you know, the schools that don't really get that much notoriety. I know a few times tried to catch up with you when you went to Georgetown, but, what goes into like, like, are you, are you just like kind of starting from scratch, like at the beginning of like the summer when you kind of create this type of database and just go through each prospect, or is this just something that you kind of uh, you kind of scout as you go essentially during the year? You know, that's a great question. And I don't think a lot of people know my process in that regard because you touched on it. I'm, I'm calling college football games during the regular season and I'm also covering the NFL with, with CBS Sports, in addition to covering college football outside of what I'm doing. And I have these three small college football shows on Saturday mornings on Next Level Sports, which is channel 623 on DirecTV. So I'm doing a lot during the season. So I really don't get into the draft until January. 
when I start to when the regular season ends of college football and I start to go to these all star games, that's when my draft work comes into play. So I'll start formulating a list around mid December when bowl season starts or early December when bowl season starts just to get names that I've accumulated over the season um, and, and put together a list of guys to watch. But then I go to the all-star games in January, all the smaller ones to, to the big ones. And so when February comes, I would say usually the day after the Super Bowl is when I start grading. So you figure from February to well, this year, because they had that HBCU Legacy Bowl first <laughs> year in the middle of February. So that took a week away from me breaking down film but you go from february 1st to whenever you're done and usually i'm done before the combine but this week i wasn't able to do so but until by the time i got to the combine i was at um 400 prospects i had no offensive linemen graded so i had to do about what 600 or so prospects once i got back from the combine because that whole week was gone so you it is is literally 12 hour days i'm up at 5 a.m i start at 5 30 and I'm done at 7.30 p.m. I'll take about a you know two-hour break in the middle of the day, go work out, go eat, um, and get back at it about 2.30 and go to 7.30. So it's literally 12-hour days of just straight watching film. And I want to stick with the HBCU Legacy Bowl, which you mentioned, because, uh, I mean, obviously this is it's, – it's gaining steam now with Deion Sanders' program at Jackson State, but we've seen – a lot of really talented prospects come from like a North Carolina A&T, um, Norfolk State. You know, I, I've seen prospects come from you know South Carolina State, uh, North Carolina Central. There was a cornerback. I think they've had a couple of years. Um, what did you name me some prospects that you felt really kind of uh, caught your eye there at the HBCU Legacy Bowl? And if there's any other prospects who probably are bigger names that couldn't make it. You know, what's interesting is that I was shocked at over the course of, you know, not just at the HBCU Legacy Bowl, but let's say over the the smaller all-star game circuit, how many Fayetteville State pro prospects they have? And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for Bowie State, Fayetteville State would be the three-time CIAA champions, but they could beat Bowie State uh, to go to the playoffs. But you talk about Joshua Williams, who was at the Combine at the Senior Bowl, but at the HBCU Legacy Bowl, you had Keyshawn James, a defensive lineman that could play any technique up front. So he can go from the seven all the way to the zero technique and, and play it well. He was outstanding all week long. Um, he was He's someone that that's versatile, that's quick off the ball, has a variety of ways to get to the quarterback. And you also look at Elvin De La Rosa, who played opposite of Josh Williams. But the cool part about him is that he was a safety at Fayetteville State. And, you know, we got to see him extensively at corner uh, at the HBCU Legacy Bowl. And he's matched up against Trey Gross, the, the outstanding wide receiver at Delaware State, you know, who I've seen a lot of over the years because I do a lot of Morgan State games, like you mentioned, um, in addition to Georgetown games. So Delaware State is playing those two schools. So I've watched Gross progress in uh, in his career. And to be able to go toe-to-toe with him as, as a corner at 6'1", there was a lot of eyebrows being raised at how well Elvin De La Rosa did uh, there. And in terms of quarterbacks, I mean, you look at Aquil Glass, who's been excellent. And his, I think he's had one of the best uh, all-star game circuits you could have at, on the offensive side of the ball because he was outstanding at the NFL PA Bowl. 
Um, if it wasn't for Cole Kelly, he would have won MVP. Then he goes to the HBCU Legacy Bowl, um, which is what well, I would say two weeks removed from NFLPA. Picked up right where he left off, played well. Uh, so I thought he really improved his stock also. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's interesting because, you know, so many people focus, I mean, rightfully so, it just gets a lot of attention on, you know, the bigger prospects that come from like, you know, the Power 5 schools and whatnot. But I think that, you know, the best teams in the league, organizations, they really kind of just make sure they don't miss a mark. And, um, you know, adding the, you know, HBCU Legacy Bowl and just trying to put more eyes on it, especially now with what Dion is doing at Jackson State, it's going to give these guys a bigger platform. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's unfortunate sometimes players just kind of go through the cracks and, you know, teams miss on them. But, um, you know, with how much investment is in the draft, I I think it just behooves you to, uh, you know, make sure you're scouting every school. And I, I don't even say that just for you know, American schools. I mean, if there's like, you know, the game is growing internationally too, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, there was a, I don't know if you remember that one kind of crazy workout receiver who came out of uh, Germany a couple of years ago. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but it's just stuff like that. Like I, I really feel like, you know, the platform that these guys are getting now, not just again for HBCs, but um, for, you know, there's a number of all-star games now. It just gives guys a better opportunity. Um, you know, I, I what I appreciate about your work is that you you don't listen to uh, the consensus. You have obviously your own evaluation process, and you go into these guys very thoroughly, and you have your own opinions on them. Um, but let's just start with the running backs because I, I know that that's a position that you scout really closely. The Florida State guy, um, same was kind of escaping my head. Deshaun uh, Corbin. Yes, he's your running back one. What do you see out of him that kind of gives you like a lot of excitement it's the it's the marriage between the vision the footwork and elusiveness and i think for me at least you know having played that position knowing how important it is to make guys miss and and be able to see what's happening in front of you to to see someone that that has that it's like man you know you you wish you had that right And, and you watching him run you're like you see it from a 10,000 foot level because you're up in the press box or whatnot, you're watching on film and you're seeing it play out, but him on the field is seeing the same thing that you're seeing up there. And that's when we talk about player a has great vision mm-hmm. and for him, it's the vision combined with B, the, let's say for instance, I could see the cutback. I know it's there. I see it, but the way my athleticism and footwork was set up, I'm not going to get there. So I'm gonna just keep it front side, but someone that is, very good athletically has a vision and the footwork. He not only has options in the run game, he can also get there. And that's the, that's the unique part about players like him. So I just thought the fact that he could be his own blocker. um, He has a good burst. He has a breakaway speed. And I think he has still room to continue to get better uh, as a pro. I'm excited for him because, you know, I think we forget he was at A&M. He transferred to Florida state. Uh, so he's someone to me that that has those traits that you need to be successful at the pro level. Yeah, it is interesting because he does play at a big school like Florida State. He went to the, you know, pretty big all-star game, the East-West Shrine Bowl, and he went to the Combine too. Um, so I'm, I'm obviously I'm surprised that we haven't heard his name. And then you have, you know, two guys that are probably near the top of a lot of people's running back boards, Spiller and uh, Hall. But 
Uh, and then I think you have Kyron Williams after that. But the other guy I want to, I really want to discuss with you is Samir White because uh, five-star prospect coming out, really exciting player for Georgia. But, uh, you know, obviously he had the injuries and that kind of, you know, maybe took a little steam out of his stock. But when I watched him this weekend, I, I was really excited with uh, his potential in, in the pros. I, I really feel like he's a guy that can um, have a better pro career than college career. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and and as you saw in the guide, I compared him to Frank Gore uh, for that same sentiment because I feel like, and, and and this is a comparison that, you know, maybe some people will understand or some people will get because if they could remember, but, you know, I always told people as good as DeMarco Murray was at Oklahoma and with the Cowboys before the injury started to kick in again, go back and watch his high school film because that was pre-knee injuries. This dude was on a whole nother level. And it's sad that we didn't get to see that DeMarco Murray because of the injuries, mm-hmm. but we still got a pretty good version of it, right? And I feel like Zamir White is is that same guy. His high school stuff just didn't make sense. And I thought last year we started to see seeds of that Zamir White come back into the fold, which is great moving forward because you know you watching his interviews and talking with him at the combine, man, you just root for the dude. Like he he's just a, a, a got a great disposition on life. You know, he just he really is passionate about playing football um, and wants to be great at it. And I, I I just like seeing good things happen to good people. And he's a good person from what I've been able to gather. But his game is trending in the right direction. I think he's getting back to what we saw of him coming out of high school. Now, it won't be a, a, a true one-to-one, but he's going to be like 90% of what he was coming into Georgia, which it was ridiculous and i think we started to see those things last year which is um which made me excited about him uh you know breaking him down and just becoming more familiar with his game as the season went along yeah another guy who went to georgia big five-star recruit i think he was like his journey at least from a high school player to college was uh, well documented uh isaiah crowell a few years ago and obviously he left georgia for you know reasons that are pretty clear off-field issues but he had a pretty successful uh, NFL career, at least his first three years, he was v- very productive for the Browns when they signed him as an undrafted free agent. So that's, you know, I mean, different players, obviously. Crowell is much more uh, m- more of a bigger physical runner, uh, but White has much more explosiveness. Um, you know, tight ends now. You know, Kate Otten is a guy that I also just recently watched. And, you know, watching him against Michigan, and he was playing really competitively against uh, those two edge rushers, whether it was Hutchinson or Ajabo. And, uh, you know, his route running, I, I, didn't, I didn't really see much of. I, I don't think they utilized him as much as I'd like to. But I think that blocking, at least for tight ends, is, you know, very difficult. And if you have some sort of, like, base foundation uh, as a blocker, I, I think that can make your upside as a receiver uh, kind of untapped. I mean, we saw it a few years ago with George Kittle, who, you know, the offense he played at Iowa, he was blocking like 80% of the time. Uh, are you seeing the similar thing with Kate Otten and his kind of transition? Yeah, and, and you touched on it. If you're able to block, or you don't have to be, you know, an offensive tackle out there, but if you right. are able to, one, compete and also be productive enough, man, that, like you said, that's a great 
foundation because a lot of tight ends don't even have that foundation. So Otten has that foundation, and he was pretty good at it. Um, and and I you know I, I said this before. I feel like he was just criminally underutilized at Washington in that regard in the passing game. So another situation where you know, a guy will end up being a better pro than Collegian mm-hmm. because of how he was utilized. And and that's what I love about the whole scouting process because you tend to see, you know, you, you watch guys and you'd say, especially when you also cover the NFL. So now, you know, you know, what works, what doesn't work, what will work, uh, what won't work. And you say, all right, well, I can envision this guy playing the pro game and fitting in nicely right away. And that's how I felt about Otten, uh, which is also surprising when you see, you know, as much as you follow guys on Twitter and draft Twitter and then guys talk about prospects all day long and you don't see his name pop up as someone that, you know, people should really focus on that could be a really good pro. And the league may view Otten differently than we all view him, um, which then should have people go and, you know, look back at their process and say, hey, okay, what am I looking at? What am I missing? Uh, but I feel like Otten is going to be someone that's going to be a really solid pro uh, and probably could play, you know, injury, you know, aside, can play right away and be effective day one. Yeah, we and we've seen tight ends from that program go pretty high. Drew Sample and Will Disley. I think Will Disley just got a second contract too. So, uh, I, I mean, it's certainly a, a program that's been in flux since Chris Peterson stepped away. And, um, you know, we'll see where they go in the future. Uh, I know, you know, they're, former head coach did a pretty good job of producing, uh, um, you know, these cornerbacks, which, you know, there's always an interesting parallel, but uh, you know, one of your other tight ends, uh, Garrett Prince from UAB, this is a guy I didn't really get to see him much, but I did kind of check him out at the East West Shrine game and he, he looked pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Are you also kind of a fan of his going into the, into the league? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. This dude here is, <laughs> I remember talking to him at the, I interviewed him at the East West Shrine Bowl and he's a city kid. So city kids just, just different. And, um, <laughs> and I, I love city kids. I'm a city kid myself to where, you know, you could tell this dude play a lot of football growing up, play, you know, basketball is he just got some sauce with them with, with how he runs his routes. Um, and he was out there cooking guys that, you know, during the Shrine Bowl week. And I was shocked that he wasn't a combine invite. I thought for sure, based off his athleticism, how he runs routes, um, he would have been a shoe in to be at the combine, but he wasn't. So I automatically said he's going to be a guy that's going to get drafted that wasn't at the combine. So I, I have him as my number one flex tight end, which is almost like a receiver. Um, he compared his own game, and, and not in an arrogant way, but said, I do a lot of things that Travis Kelsey does, which watching him run routes, you totally see what he's talking about um, because he has that fluidity within his route running. So he's going to be open a lot. He catches the ball well. And he's someone that I remember during the regular season, I watched him passing because, you know, you, you watch games from a different perspective when you're not scouting prospects. I, for, I forget who they were playing. I want to say they were playing uh, Jacksonville State. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was the first game of the season or whatnot. And this dude was like running past dudes, get in, you know, he had a good touchdown catch, I believe, in the corner of the end zone. And this was his, really his first year just blossoming as a player. So he's, quote-unquote, a one-year wonder. Um, but this dude's one year – uh, where he just really just tore it up out there on the field and also to go out to the all-star game and do well there just bodes well for his future. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm excited to get into it because his pro day numbers do look pretty exciting to ran a pretty good three cone and uh, 
short shuttle. Um, and he jumped pretty well too on the broad, at least. Uh, you know, switching out of receivers, I don't want to get into a lot of the big names. I think a lot of people uh, will have plenty of time to dissect those later. Uh, but a couple guys that maybe aren't well known that you have within your top 10, Lance McCutcheon from Montana State and uh, Isaiah Weston from, you know, Northern Iowa. Weston, he was, he was at the combine uh, and he played in a couple uh, all-star games as well. But McCutcheon, I mean, he, he seems to be very high on your radar. Yeah. And listen, this is, it's, it's funny because I, I make fun of it, but I'm also part of the people I'm making fun of. Um, when you go to an all-star game and if it's your first time seeing a guy, you're just like, whoa, like this dude is the best prospect ever. Right. Um, and I did that more so with Weston than I did with McCutcheon. I saw McCutcheon earlier in the season when they played Sam Houston and when they played North Dakota uh, State in the championship game. Uh, and watching him, at first I was like, man, this dude from um, – this dude, I, I forgot where I thought he was from. I thought he was from Penn State because they clearly wear gold and blue at, at Montana State. So I'm looking up watching practice because we have the Rose Bowl. And, you know, where you're sitting, you're you know, it's close – but you're sitting up, so you really can't see logos on helmets. And if you have a white helmet with a logo on it, it's, everybody looks the same. So I'm like, man, it's Penn State. Yeah, no, the Rose Bowl isn't isn't good for that. It's it, right. <laughs> it, it's kind of spaced out, and it's so we're sitting there, and I'm watching. I'm like, yo, who's this Penn State receiver? I I don't remember him. He's a big dude, and he's he's blowing past these dudes. So I'm looking at the roster, like that's a Montana State helmet. Like, oh, like this dude McCutcheon is baking these dudes, and it was consistent on either side of the field. No matter who lined up, he was getting off the line of scrimmage like he like he was. He was consistent in that regard. He was able to stack and just accelerate past guys. And Weston was doing the same thing. Um, and it's funny because Weston had a white helmet out there too. I'm like, yo, what's up with everybody with these alternate <laughs> white helmets? Um, so both guys are taller guys, physical guys that can run. And, and I, I know McCutcheon had some inconsistencies in the in the uh North Dakota State game you know he dropped a couple passes but I mean it was that that game was that game it was wet out there you kind of want to see him catch those wet balls uh but he really separated from the defensive back but you saw that at the NFL PA game against you know power five corners Mm -hmm. five corners so he's someone to me um and I compared him to Tim Patrick so he's someone to me that I think is going you know play really well he's going to test well they got a bunch of dudes at montana state this year that are athletic freaks um they're going to just it was underrated program a very underrated program and and one of those programs that i think again there are certain schools in in that in that area the biggest guy and you know you add north dakota state in there too they are essentially group of five programs oh absolutely Uh, you know and they could easily make the transition that's why they're always beating you know uh g5 teams that they play. So that you're right. They're underrated program, underrated athleticism. And he's probably one of three uh, Bobcats that could get drafted. Yeah. I think um, with a Cooper cup went to Eastern Washington, right? And that's Eastern probably- Washington. Yep. And they consistently beat Washington state or, or someone like that. Yeah. I got to hate their field. The red field kind of <laughs> <laughs> drives me nuts. Um, you know, switching to now to interior linemen and, and two guys that I'm sure the consensus agrees with Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green, but 
you know, a guy who was kind of, at least from my understanding, that's kind of risen throughout the process. Uh, and you're not only hearing it from draft Twitter, but also the offensive line guys on Twitter. They also like him a lot. The, uh, the interior lineman from Wake Forest, Zach Tom, uh, he's number three on your guard, um, guard rankings. And I mean, this is a guy who, you know, has kind of really risen through the process. I mean, have you been a fan of his for a while? I've been a fan since I started watching him. And because, and that's the, the good part about, again, I keep bringing, you know, bringing this up because it's, I think it's integral to, to my process is, <laughs> you know, when I, when I watch a prospect or watch a position, I don't jump around from different positions, right? Right. If I'm watching offensive tackles, I'll watch all offensive tackles. So I'm sitting there watching, you know, 80 straight tackles, right? Or 80 straight guards. So you'll see the Zion uh, Johnsons and you'll see the undrafted rookie free agent types. So you're getting a good cross of what elite looks like and what not elite looks like. Right. So now you have a, a range to compare. And so when I, and, and I go in alphabetical order by school. So by the time I got to Zach Tom, I didn't seen probably 70 something guards. <laughs> so I'm thinking, all right, this, I'm going to get through this pretty quickly. He's, you know, it's probably just another easy, you know, mid, mid type talent. And I'm, I'm like, Whoa, like he's a, he's dynamic, you know, he's <laughs> strong, he's quick. It's like, so I'm, I'm, I'm adding things up. And when I got to the tally, I'm like, Oh snap. Like I was shocked to be that far down um, school wise to see someone that was that talented and was able to, that wasn't a senior bowl guy that bumped him up to where he was my number third, uh, number three guard in the class. So big fan of him. And when I saw him, I think is more important to the story than him being where he's ranked because man, I saw him late. And by that time you're, you're like, all right, man, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of tired watching the same, because I can't wait to move on. I'm getting close to the end. And you really get shocked by someone that can ball you're like, oh snap, this dude, like, and usually I'm just watching three games, but I, I was like, all right, I, I like watching this dude play. Let me throw a fourth one in there just to watch, you know? And so that's how he was able to really just stand out to me. Yeah, no, and, and that, that's that's always when, when you're scouting, at least, uh, you know, people have different processes, but to me, whenever you, you, you see a guy that uh, you obviously hear about and you kind of go through the list and he stands out that way, it's always a pretty revealing um feeling but uh, i want to now switch over we're going to skip defensive ends uh in that rushers those guys have been talked about at length but you know a, a position that hasn't really been talked about at least you know from my own kind of echo chamber uh defensive tackle and one guy that i kind of want to get right off the bat with you your top rated player is curtis brooks from cincinnati and you know cincinnati obviously has had a tremendous year they're having a lot of players go into the league, uh, most likely, you know, the cornerbacks going to go top 10 quarterback might even go top um, you know, 32 uh, Pierce is another guy that's been getting some love, but you know, one guy I haven't really heard about too much uh, Curtis Brooks. Um, what have you seen in him that kind of gives you some optimism for his projection going forward? This ball get off in his awareness. Um, when you're able to quickly get off the ball and get into the backfield you, the job is halfway done. And the fact that he can track the ball well, because you see some guys get into the backfield and have no clue where the ball is. 
and yes. he'll get back there and quickly find the football and pursue the ball. And he's an active player. So we've seen him do a lot of different things up front. Like I said, you know, he could play many different techniques up front too on the interior, but he's one that doesn't stay blocked. He's aware of what's going on and he's disruptive in the fact that he pursues the ball. So as a runner, it takes away a lot of your, uh, if you have a dumb D lineman that just gets in there, you know, he's not going to find the football. You could easily make him look foolish even more so by cutting it back, but he's someone that is in hot pursuit and tracks the ball. Well, so it's just, he's a disruptor up front. Um, and another one of these guys that you're watching that, that you are shocked that ends up grading how he graded based off what you've heard all season. You know, you hear about Devontae Wyatt, you hear about all these other defensive yeah. tackles, and Brooks, someone that you grade and you're like, damn, he graded out as my top. Like, wow, that's, that's shocking to me at least. Yeah, no. And, and, and you do have Devontae Wyatt number two and uh, Phil Mathis number four. And, and those seem to be the consensus top two for a lot of, uh, for a lot of other people, but uh, you know, in between there, you have Demetrius Taylor from App State, and uh, I did actually watch a few App State games last year, and he kind of always stood out to me. And you know, one note that you make, you know, with Taylor is that he has excellent football IQ, and you also say that he has a great, great sense of timing. Uh, he finds big plays and game-changing ones. Is that sort of the similar thing you're talking about with Brooks, as far as um, kind of always having his head up and not being, you know, a guy who gets pushed around easily? Absolutely, because there's one defensive tackle that um, that I was watching, and I can't remember his name, but uh, it, it was a K-State defensive tackle, and mm-hmm. his, his, he was a nose tackle, and his ball get-off was tremendous. And it's, his, his, I mean, he's splitting double teams like crazy. Like, I'm like, man, this dude is you know, strong. And so he's splitting the double team, but he's pushing so far upfield to where he's, you know, now he's past the play, like, bro, like, all right, you you got the initial break. Stop and retrace. Like, where, where are you going? You know, why are you letting these dudes escort you out the play? And for guys like Taylor and, and guys like Brooks, once they make that initial breakthrough, it's okay, where's the football? Let me go find somewhere to go get get busy. And, and that's what you see from Taylor, despite being undersized. Uh, we saw him have an interception before or, or a fumble recovery against North Carolina, that big game against North Carolina, I want to say maybe the two years ago. Yep. Um, and always finding big plays it's on special teams, blocking kicks, always finding something to do. And when you're disruptive, you're going to find a way to be on the field. And uh, it was him and the linebacker, uh, DeMarco Jackson. I thought my, my, you know, when I'm watching film, I thought my film was, was like broken. I'm like, is it playing two times faster? Like, because this dude clearly got from a dead standstill to like to Levi Lewis in an instant. Like, why is he so fast? And that's just how he runs. Um, so I, obviously I had a high grade on on Jackson too uh, because, you know, guys that that tend to make those type of plays and, and react those that type of way tend to stand out. And Taylor is one of those guys that stood out too. Yeah, and then let's quickly go over to linebacker. And I'm glad you kind of mentioned um, DeMarco Jackson. You, you have currently have him too. And, and this has been a take that's sort of brewing in my own head. Uh, related to Chad Muma, I also think he's the best linebacker in this class. And that's no knock on the Georgia guys because I, my, my own opinion is those guys are going to go in the first as they should. I think they have a lot of upside as prospects. But to me, Muma kind of 
really reminds me very similarly of the guy that came out a couple of years ago, Logan uh, Wilson, and he's had a phenomenal year for the Bengals. Um, you know, are, are you kind of seeing it? I mean, this is a guy who's really athletic and he showed at the senior bowl too. Yeah. And, and I mean, to be able to chase the run, go sideline to side, true. Only a few linebackers are true sideline, sideline guys. Moom mm. is one. Jackson is one. Anderson is one. Um, Troy you know, Anderson. Go, to, yeah. Troy Anderson. Yeah. Uh, quietest kept homeboy is one, two for Georgia, not Nicobe Dean, but, uh, you know, both Walker and also Tyndall. Yeah. They're sideline to sideline guys. And, and that stuff just like, I, I'll tell you, as a runner, that stuff scares you because just when you think you got the perimeter, you don't got the perimeter. These dudes right there with you step for step and they're making impactful plays. So the acceleration and speed that he has to play at this level um, really stood out. And I'm glad he went down to the senior bowl and it kind of checked off boxes too, because if you're able to, to go sideline to sideline like that, but guys like him, Muma and Anderson are, are unique because they can go backwards in that same type of acceleration. So they cover a lot of ground and they help you out on both ends of defense. So I'm excited about all those linebackers you mentioned. It's just why I think they're higher graded than someone like Nicobe Dean for me, uh, at least. Yeah, and I think Dean will be a good NFL player. And I know some teams have to sort out, you know, if he fits the thresholds they're looking for as far as his side. Uh, but he was a five-star recruit, so he's been you know on the radar for a while. But yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think Muma and Anderson are outstanding. Whatever team they go to, I think. Those are going to be two really good players. Um, you know, quarterback. I know this is a Panthers pod, but I tell you this: if the Panthers was find or found a way to get him, I was I wouldn't be I wouldn't be mad if they took him and had him with, with Shaq Thompson and company. Like, because man, you talk about increasing the athleticism at the second level. Goodness. Yeah, no, that, that's sort of what they're looking for too. And I mean, they look for guys who can you know, have a lot of versatility uh, within the box and also in coverage too. Um, I mean, they haven't really replaced uh, Luke Keekly yet, and you know, obviously they have a different defense now. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, let's close out here with the cornerback group. And, you know, I was watching him this morning. Uh, Kyer Elam's tape against Alabama is some of the best tape that I think I've seen in a long time. And I'm, I'm just shocked. A guy who went to Florida, you know, a school that consistently produces NFL athletes, especially defensively, we're not talking about this guy as, you know, like a lock to go in the first round. And I'm, I'm glad you have him as your cornerback one, because, you know, what I saw on tape and it just, it looks so fluid. Our good friend, Jordan Reed, he, he was posting some clips at his, uh, you know, pro day. And I, I, those sometimes can be a little overstated, but just looking at him move, there's like no wasted steps. He plays very low to the ground, which means he has very good core strength and he's well-built. I mean, I'm seeing, you know, a, really a, a potential star. Yeah, and that's the part that's shocking to me, too, because it's, it's like he's 6'1". Yes. You know, like that's a tall corner that's playing like a guy that's 5'10", 5'11". And, you know, that's excellent body control. That's excellent athleticism. And if you saw my scout notes, it was like, man, this. Uh, you know, I'm nitpicking to try to find a weakness. So, like, there's really no major deficiency within this game. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, you know. And and so 
that's why watching the Bama game was 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 because you know you got number one picks and and you know first round talent, great talent at receiver, but watching that Sanford game where Sanford was cutting Florida up like they, they was going toe to toe with Florida, and Montreal Washington is the receiver at Sanford, so you want to see okay, did he travel with them or how was he able to handle that game and and, and Elam was just consistent, like no matter what tape you put on, he's gonna have the same game, and I think that's vital for a player and that's one of the first things i say about him he's patient um he doesn't get rattled he doesn't get jumpy um he's able to play through the hands it's just he's a polished player and i think he's ready to go day one um out there on the perimeter yeah no for sure and uh you know carolina they obviously traded for cj henderson another former you know gator cba and i thought henderson on tape he obviously had uh, a lot of people mentioned that some of his tackling wasn't, you know, he wasn't going hundred percent. And uh, you know, another thing with uh, Henderson is I'm not going to say he took plays off, but th- th- there were times where he just didn't look like he was fully engaged. And I mean, I mean he certainly had great games against uh, LSU at going against Jamar chase and, uh, you know, other big time receivers. But, you know, like you said, Elam, I mean, whether he was facing Jameis Williams, which I didn't really see any cornerback uh, be able to kind of contain him as well as, Elam did, or he's going against, you know, Samford. I mean, he, he brought it weekly. And uh, I, I know, I think there's some injury concerns. I'm not too sure about that, but to, to me, I, I agree. I, I think he's better than, um, yeah, again, just my opinion. I think he's better than both of the Washington guys um, who a lot of people are big fans of, but the, Emery really want to thank you for taking the time to do this. I know you're really busy this time of the year, but uh, you know, before we do go, what do you have planned not only for, you know, the next few weeks, but also what you you plan to cover to draft, uh, whether you're going to be in Vegas or on CBS Sports Network? Yeah, I, I, right now we're we're working on um, putting out some content on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash football game plan. You know, the, we're going to do our traditional uh, prospect rankings. We won't do the full thousand. We'll do top ten and incorporate some interviews um, as well uh, with those videos. They always are fun to do, uh, but because we're doing it so late, we got to really truncate how we used to do them. Um, but we're excited about that. And I think CBS will have me in studio this year for the draft, as opposed to going out to Vegas. I know last year I was, we were in Cleveland. I was in Cleveland uh, for the draft. But I think this year they'll have me in studio, which I'm excited about because that allows you to do more things than you can do at the draft. Too many distractions uh, in Vegas. Yeah, too, way too many distractions, too many distractions. And um, I, I, I don't know how this is going to work out with how they're going to you know, have that draft set up. Like, I hope um, they have all kind of waivers and assurances in place because if they try to do the same <laughs> thing they wanted to do uh, pre-COVID when they were going to have the boat and like, you know, that's oh my just, gosh. That's <laughs> just chaos waiting to happen. Um, but I, I have that. And also, I'm excited about the USFL, too. So I know we'll have a TV show or mm. a YouTube show come out. Uh, covering the, the USFL as well, which starts April 16th. With the, you know, that's why we have a guide that's as extensive as this, because we know a lot of these guys won't end up in the NFL, but you'll see them on USFL rosters and you'll see them in training camp and things like that. So that's why we do so much, because uh, we know these guys will end up elsewhere and, you know, they'll be playing pro football, getting paid for it. Yeah, for sure. And I actually thought the XFL was really on a good path before COVID kind of, just kind of ruined things. I went to a game in DC and uh, yeah, they had quite a few fans there. And this is when Pep Hamilton was the head coach. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited that you know the USFL or at least something else is gonna uh, you know be an option for a lot of these prospects. But Emery, uh, thanks again for joining us. Again, everyone can find him on Twitter at fb a l l game plan and tremendous work with the draft and covering a lot of these prospects that you probably never heard of. Uh, so Emery, thanks again for joining. Appreciate you having me on. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.